before the rule of Tiber Septum, all Tamriel was in chaos. The poet Trachesis called that period of continuous unrest, days and nights of blood and venom. The kings were a petty lot of grasping tyrants who fought Tiber's attempts to bring order to the land. But they were as disorganized as they were dissolute, and the strong hand of Septum brought peace forcibly to Tamriel. The year was 2E-896. The following year, the emperor declared the beginning of a new era. Thus began the third era, year Ot. For 38 years, the Emperor Tiber reigned supreme. It was a lawful, pious, and glorious age, when justice was known to one and all, from serf to sovereign. On Tiber's death, it reigned for an entire fortnight, as if the land of Tamriel itself was weeping. The emperor's grandson, Pelagius, came to the throne. Though his reign was short, he was as strong and resolute as his father had been, and Tamriel could have enjoyed a continuation of the Golden Age. Alas, an unknown enemy of the Septum family hired that accursed organization of cutthroats, the Dark Brotherhood to kill the Emperor Pelagius I as he knelt at prayer at the Temple of the One in the Imperial City. Pelagius I's reign lasted less than three years. Pelagius had no living children, so the Crown Imperial passed to his first cousin, the daughter of Tiber's brother Agnareth, Kentyra, former Queen of Sylvanar assumed the throne as Kintyra I. Her reign was blessed with prosperity and good harvests, and she herself was an avid patroness of art, music, and dance. Kintyra's son was crowned after her death, the first emperor of Tamriel to use the imperial name Uriel. Uriel I was the great lawmaker of the Septum dynasty and a promoter of independent organizations and guilds. Under his kind but firm hand, the Fighters Guild and the Mages Guild increased in prominence throughout Tamriel. His son and successor, Uriel II, reigned for 18 years. From the death of Uriel I in 3E64 to Pelagius II's ascension in 3E82. Tragically, the rule of Uriel II was cursed with blights, plagues, and insurrections. The tenderness he inherited from his father did not serve Tamriel well, and little justice was done. Pelagius II inherited not only the throne from his father, but the debt from the latter's poor financial and judicial management. Pelagius dismissed all of the Elder Council, 
and allowed only those willing to pay great sums to resume their seats. He encouraged similar acts among his vassals, the kings of Tamriel, and by the end of his seventeen-year reign, Tamriel had returned to prosperity. His critics, however, have suggested that any advisor possessed of wisdom but not of gold had been summarily ousted by Pelagius. This may have led to some of the troubles his son Antiochus faced when he in turn became emperor. Antiochus was certainly one of the more flamboyant members of the usually austere Septim family. He had numerous mistresses and nearly as many wives, and was renowned for the grandeur of his dress and his high good humor. Unfortunately, his reign was rife with civil war, surpassing even that of his grandfather Uriel II. The War of the Isle in 3E110 Twelve years after Antiochus assumed the throne, nearly took the province of Somerset Isle away from Tamriel. The united alliance of the kings of Somerset and Antiochus only managed to defeat King Orkum of the island kingdom of Pyandania due to a freak storm. Legend credits the Sigic Order of the Isle of Arteum with the sorcery behind this tempest. The story of Kintyra II, heiress to her father Antiochus' throne, is certainly one of the saddest tales in imperial history. Her first cousin Uriel, son of Queen Potema of Solitude, accused Kentyra of being a bastard, alluding to the infamous decadence of the imperial city during her father's reign. When this accusation failed to stop her coronation, Uriel bought the support of several disgruntled kings of High Rock, Skyrim, and Morrowind, and with Queen Potema's assistance, he coordinated three attacks on the Septum Empire. The first attack occurred in the Iliac Bay region, which separates High Rock and Hammerfell. Kentyra's entourage was massacred and the Empress taken captive. For two years, Kentyra II languished in an Imperial prison believed to be somewhere in Glenpoint or Glenmoral, before she was slain in her cell under mysterious circumstances. The second attack was on a series of imperial garrisons along the coastal Morrowind Islands. The Empress's consort, Contin Aranex, fell defending the forts. The third and final attack was a siege of the Imperial City itself, occurring after the Elder Council had split up the army to attack Western High Rock and Eastern Morrowind. The weakened government had little defense against Uriel's determined aggression, 
and capitulated after only a fortnight of resistance. Uriel took the throne that same evening and proclaimed himself Uriel III, Emperor of Tamriel. The year was 3E121. Thus began the War of the Red Diamond. Kentyra's murder in Glenpoint while in captivity is considered by some to be the end of the pure strain of septum blood in the Imperial family. Certainly it marks the end of something significant. Uriel III not only proclaimed himself Emperor of Tamriel, but also Uriel Septum III taking the imminent surname as a title. In truth, his surname was Mantiarco from his father's line. In time, Uriel III was deposed and his crimes reviled. But the tradition of taking the name Septum as a title for the Emperor of Tamriel did not die with him. For six years, the War of the Red Diamond, which takes its name from the Septum family's famous badge, tore the Empire apart. The combatants were the three surviving children of Pelagius II and Potema, Zephorus, and Magnus, and their various offspring. Potema, of course, supported her son Uriel III and had the combined support of all Skyrim and Northern Morrowind. With the efforts of Sephoris and Magnus, however, the province of High Rock turned coat. The provinces of Hammerfell, Somerset Isle, Balinwood, Elsewhere, and Black Marsh were divided in their loyalty, but most kings supported Sephoris and Magnus. In 3E-127, Uriel III was captured at the Battle of Ikadeg in Hammerfell. En route to his trial in the Imperial City, a mob overtook his prisoner's carriage and burned him alive within it. His captor and uncle continued on to the Imperial City, and by common acclaim was proclaimed Sephoris I. Emperor of Tamriel. Sephoris' reign was marked by nothing but war. By all accounts, he was a kind and intelligent man, but what Tamriel needed was a great warrior. And he, fortunately, was that. It took an additional ten years of constant warfare for him to defeat his sister Potema the so-called Wolf Queen of Solitude, who died in the siege of her city-state in the year 137. Sephoris survived his sister by only three years. He never had time during the war's years to marry. So it was his brother, the fourth child of Pelagius II, who assumed the throne. The Emperor Magnus was already elderly when he took up the Imperial Diadem, 
in the business of punishing the traitorous kings of the War of the Red Diamond drained much of his remaining strength. Legend accuses Magnus's son and heir Pelagius III of patricide, but that seems highly unlikely, for no other reason than that Pelagius was king of solitude following the death of Potemla, and seldom visited the imperial city. Pelagius III, sometimes called Pelagius the Mad, was proclaimed emperor in the 145th year of the Third Era. Almost from the start, his eccentricities of behavior were noted at court. He embarrassed dignitaries, offended his vassal kings, and on one occasion marked the end of an imperial grand ball by attempting to hang himself. His long-suffering wife was finally awarded the regency of Tamriel, and Pelagius III was sent to a series of healing institutions and asylums. Until his death in 3E-153, at the age of 34, the Empress Regent of Tamriel was proclaimed Empress Cateriah, the first upon the death of her husband. Some who do not mark the end of the Septum bloodline with the death of Kintyre II consider the ascendancy of this dark elf woman the true mark of its decline. Her defenders, on the other hand, assert that though Cateriah was not descended from Tiber, the son she had with Pelagius was, so the imperial chain did continue. Despite racist assertions to the contrary, Cateriah's 46-year reign was one of the most celebrated in Tamriel's history. Uncomfortable in the Imperial City, Cateriah traveled extensively throughout the Empire, such as no Emperor ever had since Tiber's day. He repaired much of the damage that previous emperors' broken alliances and bungled diplomacy created. The people of Tamriel came to love their empress far more than the nobility did. Cateriah's death in a minor skirmish in Black Marsh is a favorite subject of conspiracy-minded historians. The sage Montalius's discovery, for instance, of a disenfranchised branch of the Septum family and their involvement with the skirmish was a revelation indeed. When Cassander assumed the throne upon the death of his mother, he was already middle-aged. Only half-elven, he aged like a Breton. In fact, he had left the rule of Wayrest to his half-brother Uriel due to poor health. Nevertheless, as the only true blood relation of Pelagius, and thus Tiber, he was pressed into accepting the throne. To no one's surprise, the Emperor Cassander's reign did not last long. In two years, he joined his predecessors in eternal slumber. Uriel Lariat, Cassander's half-brother and the child of Cateriah I, 
and her imperial consort, Galavere Lariat, after the death of Pelagius III, left the kingdom of Wayrest to reign as Uriel IV. Legally, Uriel IV was a septum. Cassander had adopted him into the royal family when he had become king of Wayrest. Nevertheless, to the council and the people of Tamriel, he was a bastard child of Cateriah. Uriel did not possess the dynamism of his mother, and his long 43-year reign was a hotbed of sedition. It will be recalled that Uriel IV was not a septum by birth. His mother, though she reigned as empress for many years, was a dark elf married to a true septum emperor, Pelagius III. Uriel's father was actually Adariah I's consort after Pelagius' death. A Breton nobleman named Galavere Lariat. Before taking the throne of empire, Cassander I had ruled the kingdom of Wayrest, but poor health had forced him to retire. Cassander had no children, so he legally adopted his half-brother Uriel and abdicated the kingdom. Seven years later, Cassander inherited the empire at the death of his mother. Three years after that, Uriel once again found himself the recipient of Cassander's inheritance. Uriel IV's reign was a long and difficult one. Despite being a legally adopted member of the Septum family, despite the Lariat family's high position indeed, they were distant cousins of the Septums. Few of the Elder Council could be persuaded to accept him fully as a blood descendant of Tiber. The Council had assumed much responsibility during Cateriah I's long reign and Cassander I's short one, and a strong-willed alien monarch like Uriel IV found it impossible to command their unswerving fealty. Time and again the council and emperor were at odds, and time and again the council won the battles. Since the days of Pelagius II, the elder council had consisted of the wealthiest men and women in the empire, and the power they wielded was conclusive. The council's last victory over Uriel IV was posthumous. Andorak, Uriel IV's son, was disinherited by vote of council, and a cousin more closely related to the original septum line was proclaimed Sephorus II in 3E247. For the first nine years of Sephorus II's reign, those loyal to Andorak battled the Imperial forces. In an act that the sage Arantine called Tiber Septum's heart beating no more, the council granted Andorak the High Rock Kingdom of Shornhelm to end the war. 
and Andorak's descendants still rule there. By and large, Sephoris II had foes that demanded more of his attention than Andorak. From out of a Sumerian nightmare, the words of Arantin, a man who called himself the Camorran Usurper, led an army of Daedra and undead warriors on a rampage through Valenwood, conquering kingdom after kingdom. Few could resist his onslaughts, and as month turned to bloody month in the year 3E249, even fewer tried. Sephoris II sent more and more mercenaries into Hammerfell to stop the usurper's northward march, but they were bribed or slaughtered and raised as undead. The story of the Camorran usurper deserves a book of its own. It is recommended that the reader find Palax Ilthir's The Fall of the Usurper for more detail. In short, however, the destruction of the forces of the Usurper had little to do with the efforts of the Emperor. The result was a great regional victory and an increase in hostility towards the seemingly inefficacious Empire. Uriel V Sephoris, the second son and successor, swiveled opinion back towards the latent power of the Empire, turning the attention of Tamriel away from internal strife. Uriel V embarked on a series of invasions beginning almost from the moment he took the throne in 3E-268. Uriel V conquered Roscrea in 271, Athnaque in 276, Ineslia in 279, Nezronaet in 284. In 3E288, he embarked on his most ambitious enterprise, the invasion of the continent kingdom of Akavir. This ultimately proved a failure, for two years later Uriel V was killed in Akavir on the battlefield of Ionith. Nevertheless, Uriel V holds a reputation second only to Tiber as one of the two great warrior emperors of Tamriel. On Uriel V's death across the sea in distant, hostile Akavir, Uriel VI was but five years old. In fact, Uriel VI was born only shortly before his father left for Akavir. Uriel V's only other progeny, by a morganatic alliance, were the twins Morahatha and Eloisa, who had been born a month after Uriel V left. Uriel VI was crowned in the 290th year of the Third Era. The imperial consort, Monica, as the boy's mother, was given a restricted regency until Uriel VI reached his majority. The Elder Council retained the real power, as they had ever since the days of Katariah I. The Council so enjoyed its unlimited and unrestricted freedom to promulgate laws and generate profits, that Uriel VI was not given full license to rule until 307. 
when he was already 22 years old. He had been slowly assuming positions of responsibility for years, but both the council and his mother, who enjoyed even her limited regency, were loath to hand over the reins. By the time he came to the throne, the mechanisms of government gave him little power except for that of the imperial veto. This power, however, he regularly and vigorously exercised. By 313, Uriel VI could boast with conviction that he truly did rule Tamriel. He utilized defunct spy networks and guard units to bully and coerce the members of the Elder Council. His half-sister, Morahatha, was, not surprisingly, his staunchest ally. Especially after her marriage to Baron Ulf Gerson of Winterhold brought her considerable wealth and influence. As the sage Ugaridge said, Uriel V conquered Esrianet, but Uriel VI conquered the Elder Council. And Uriel VI fell off a horse and could not be resuscitated by the finest imperial healers. His beloved sister, Morahatha, took up the imperial tiara. At 25 years of age, she had been described by, admittedly self-serving, diplomats as the most beautiful creature in all of Tamriel. She was certainly well-learned, vivacious, athletic, and a well-practiced politician. She brought the Archmagister of Skyrim to the Imperial City and created the second Imperial Battle Mage since the days of Tiber Septum. Morahatha finished the job her brother had begun and made the imperial province a true government under the empress and later the emperor. Outside the imperial province, however, empire had slowly been disintegrating. Open revolutions and civil wars had raged unchallenged since the days of her grandfather, Sephoris II. Carefully coordinating her counterattacks, Morahatha slowly claimed back her rebellious vassals, always avoiding overextending herself. Though Morahatha's military campaigns were remarkably successful, her deliberate pace often frustrated the council. One councilman, an Argonian who took the colloquial name of Thoracles Romus, Furious at her refusal to send troops to his troubled Black Marsh, is commonly believed to have hired the assassins who claimed her life in 3E339. Romus was summarily tried and executed, though he protested his innocence to the last. Morahatha had no surviving children, and Eloisa had died of a fever four years before. Eloisa's 25-year-old son, Pelagius, was thus crowned Pelagius IV. Pelagius IV continued his aunt's work, slowly bringing back under his wing the radical and refractory kingdoms, duchies, and baronies of the empire. He exercised Morihatha's poise and circumspect pace in his endeavors, 
but alas, he did not attain her success. The kingdoms had been free of constraint for so long that even a benign imperial presence was considered odious. Nevertheless, when Pelagius died after a notably stable and prosperous 29-year reign, Tamriel was closer to unity than it had been since the days of Uriel I. Our current emperor, his awesome and terrible majesty, Uriel Septim VII, son of Pelagius IV, has the diligence of his great-aunt Morihatha, the political skill of his great-uncle Uriel VI, and the military prowess of his great-grand-uncle Uriel V. For twenty-one years he reigned and brought justice and order to Tamriel. In the year 3E389, however, his imperial battle mage Jagar Tharn betrayed him. Uriel VII was imprisoned in a dimension of Tharn's creation, and Tharn used his sorcery of illusion to assume the emperor's aspect. For the next ten years, Tharn abused imperial privilege, but did not continue Uriel VII's schedule of reconquest. It is not yet entirely known what Tharn's goals and personal accomplishments were during the ten years he masqueraded as liege lord. In 3E399, an enigmatic champion defeated the battle mage in the dungeons of the Imperial Palace and freed Uriel VII from his other dimensional jail. Since his emancipation, Uriel VII has worked diligently to renew the battles that would reunite Tamriel. Arn's interference broke the momentum, it is true. The years since then have proven that there is hope of a golden age of Tiber Septim's rule, glorifying Tamriel once again. <laughs>